0: good morning and we do welcome the Holy Spirit in this place this morning and we welcome new friends uh, Linda and Dee we're so delighted to have you join us this morning and we have pastor Andy gonna preach this morning so we're really delighted about that rick is not feeling well so our music is going to be very different and it's actually kind of an interesting thing because it reminds us of how much we adore and thank rick for all that he does for our congregation so just keep that in mind through the day though we are so grateful for rick and pray for him for him to get better let me pray for us heavenly father we do praise and thank you that all things are in your hands That no matter what the world looks like is going on you've already written it all down in your word we know that you know it from beginning to end we have no worries about what we face because you will be with us and you invite us to come before you for help and sustenance and your loving kindness and your care father in ephesians you say that you lavish us And Father, we just accept that this morning, that you will lavish us with your love and your presence here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning, everybody. You know, as I was going over this morning's devotional, I couldn't help but think of this gentleman that I've had the opportunity to meet. And he is a gentleman that clings to all his worldly possessions. Glorious giving, given it will be given unto you. Give, Christ commanded. Yet it was more than a command. It was an invitation to glorious and abundant living. If we get our attitude toward money right, it will help straighten out almost every other area of our lives. Have you ever realized just how cruel and deceptive a master of money can be? Some people spend their lives slaving over serving it without even realizing it. No wonder Jesus warned, you cannot serve both God and money. The motive of the selfish person is to get. The chief motivated Um, person is that Christian that's dedicated and we know that Jesus never breaks his promises when he says ask and it will be given unto you. Are we giving or are we getting? Which is true of you. The hope for today, we strive to get things and we struggle to keep them. It is much easier to give things away. An open palm takes far less energy than the clenched fist Our God has designed us to be givers. Well, let's give our hearts to worship.
2: This is what I
3: We all need to be encouraged at one time or another, sometimes more than others. And Psalm 27 is a good place to start if you need it. I'm going to read the first six verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Amen to that. If you'd like to stand with me, or you may remain seated, seated if you'd like, and we'll read Psalm 23, which is another psalm of encouragement. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
4: How sweet oh, the sound
2: Jesus sounds in all
4: believers here it's to our sorrows
5: Testament reading today it comes from Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 13 in fact it says the message is very close at hand it is on your lips and in your heart and that message is the very message about faith that we preach if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect, they had the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved if you join us in the responsive reading faithful love of god you blessed us with your servant son so that we might know how to serve your people with justice and mercy We gather the needs of ourselves and others We offer them to you in faith and love Seeking to be strengthened to meet them. Amen Let us pray Our heavenly father you have entrusted You have entrusted each of us with various gifts various things that that belong to you and you ask us to to give back you tell us to give back to share that which you have provided us so those gifts that we give to, that are given today we ask that you bless them and that you give us the wisdom to use them in a way that would be that would meet your purpose and to help grow your kingdom this we ask in Jesus name amen <laughs>
6: Uh, let's uh, open in a word of prayer today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you for your word. Indeed, the words that we look at this morning may be four or 5,000 years old. But Lord, we come and we know that through your Holy Spirit, you have given us these very words to help us, to encourage us, to support us. Lord, I would pray and ask this morning that you would help me to preach this as good as I can. And Lord, I would ask you for each person sitting in the the congregation uh, that these words might be of help, perhaps not today, perhaps in the future, but that these very words might come to mind even at another time. That would be helpful to strengthen, support, and yes, to honor you, to glorify you. We come and pray all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Job. As I kind of mentioned there a little bit, it may be, some scholars think, the oldest book in the Bible. Perhaps at least the material there uh, may have been jotted down in some form uh, before even Moses wrote Genesis. So we come and look at these ancient words, words from a long time past. And we come and we look and we ask that uh, we seek that the Lord would bless us with these words. Let me uh, start out with a little story. It's a story of a man who was quite ill. He knew he didn't feel well, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him that his condition was indeed quite serious. He told him, he said, there's a possible surgery that could, could help He said, it's very expensive, and he says to him, there's no guarantees; It still might not do it. The man elected to have the surgery. He went and had the surgery, and after after the surgery, he went back for his post-op visit. When he got back to the post-op visit, the doctor said, I'm sorry to tell you, but it didn't work you have six months to live the man was taken back a bit and he says doc he says i owe you so much from the surgery it'd take me a year at least to to pay you off (laughs) and the doc said thought about it for a minute okay i'll give you a year I want to read a little bit of introduction. If you happen to have your bulletin with you, there's the introduction printed out in there, and on the other side has a little outline. I don't want to work you too hard, but I'd like to invite you to fill in that outline, if that's something helpful for you. If you're not, if not, just listen. But as far as the intro, let me read this to you. You can read along with me. One of the unsettling things about the book of Job is it immediately becomes clear that God permits suffering. We generally don't like that too well. Our tendency when suffering comes our way is to cry out, Why me? But God has permitted suffering in our world, and we as believers are not exempt from it. Remember that our Lord Jesus suffered an unjust trial, scourging, crucifixion, and being forsaken by the Father in the time of his greatest need. It has, however, been observed that when Christ was on the cross, the Father was forced to turn away from him as he's bearing our sin, we would believe that to be, And the suffering of Christ and the suffering of the Father as he turns away from his beloved son, much beloved son, in his extreme need. It's been understood that when Christ was on the cross, God took his own medicine. God, our God, understands suffering. As we begin to look at Job this morning, we'll see that, in fact, God allows suffering. But as we look at our outline, let's take a look at the character and the circumstances of Job. First of all, his character. Let's read the very first verse of the book of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright fearing god and turning away from evil i want to call your attention to what it says that he's blameless that does not mean without sin later on in the book of job job himself mentions sin a couple times that he has committed sin that he has in fact (coughs) been a sinner so when we read the word blameless it means complete If you're filling in your outline there, it would be the word complete. It would be the best description. Find also that he is upright. It says that he is blameless, he's upright. Upright means that he acts rightly. If you made a deal with Job, and I don't know if they shook hands back in that day or not, but if you made a deal with Job, you knew that he was going to be a man of integrity that was going to carry it out. We notice also that he was. it says that he was a man who feared God. When we talk about fearing God, that doesn't mean that you're huddled in a corner in the fetal position. It means that Job, when he fears God, he knows that God is omnipotent. He knows that God is all-powerful. He knows that he is the creator of the universe, the stars, the sky, the world, the seas, and all that is in them. So that is the way that he recognizes and fears God. We know the scripture here says that he was turning away from evil. We're not going to look at it, but in... um, Excuse me, in Job 31, uh, Job gives the defense. You may remember he has these friends come, and that the friends who come say to Job essentially, some of them say it more harshly, some say it a little more kindly, but they say, Job, you must have sinned mightily in some way. You must have sinned otherwise the suffering would not come upon you. Uh, But in, in chapter 31, Job defends himself, and I think it also helps us to understand his turning away from evil. Let me give you some of the things that are listed in 31. In 31, he starts it out, and he says, I've made a covenant, a contract, as it were, with my eyes, not to look upon a virgin. Virgins probably dressed a little differently back in that day and so on. But Job says, I don't go there. If he were living today, he would not be looking at any pornography on the internet or anywhere else. Job would walk straight and true. He also says that he's not chasing after other women. He says in addition to that, That when he speaks, that he says, I don't lie. I say exactly what I mean, and I mean what I say. He would say he's not into falsehood. Then he even, in in chapter 31, talks about something that we hear about on the news today. He talks about what I consider and call labor relations. He says... If my female servant or my male servant comes to me and they have a complaint, he says, I listen to it. I hear what they have to say, and I try to make it right. I would say he was an expert way back then in labor relations. Okay, we look also, and he firms, that the way he treats an orphan, somebody who has no parents, the way he treats a widow and the way he just treats the plain poor he says i have been right and just in doing those things he says essentially if you read 31 i thought you know maybe there's nothing on tv this afternoon might like right look at job 31 but he says there's no lady no widow lady losing sleep because of the way i have talked to her or acted towards her. In other words, she's not losing any sleep because I've treated her right. So Job's character, he is indeed blameless. Uh, He is indeed complete, if you will, in that respect. Look with me, if you will, uh, in uh, chapter, uh, chapter, in verse 2. And on down through verse 5. It says he had seven sons and three daughters. Ten children altogether. It says that uh, he has great possessions. And his possessions, back at that time, they're listed. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, that would be a 1,000 oxen if you got a yoke, that's two. He had 500 female donkeys and very many servants. When you think of the number of servants, the people you would either need to employ or possibly servants that you owned, you think about that and you think he would need a lot to care for his wealth in this way. Also, we may look at our wealth and it may be that we have a bank account or stocks and bonds or whatever. That isn't the way wealth generally was handled, although we do see that he kn- they know about gold and they have gold, some gold. But his main possessions, Job's main possessions, are in his stock. And that's why he is so wealthy and has so much. Uh, matter of fact, it says that he was a man that was the greatest of all the men in the East. If you were a young man, you'd probably want to come to Job and say, how did you do it? You'd want to say, how did you learn uh, how to handle all the economics to have all of these possessions? Anyway, we read that that Job has everything you could think of that he, that he needs. We note in verse four, his sons used to go hold a feast in the house of each one. They'd send and invite their three sisters. They would eat and drink with them and so on. Uh, we notice in verse five, the days of feasting were completed. Job would send, consecrate them. He would rise up in the morning and he would go ahead and give uh, a burnt offering. He's, and we told at the end there that he, he's worried that his one of his children or some of his children might have turned away and not believed in God. Now, I believe we talk about the Holy Spirit inspiring these scriptures. I believe that to be true with all my heart. Uh, But I do believe that Job's theology might not be quite right here. Remember, I, I personally feel each one of us individually has to get right with God. We individually have to come to God and and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him. So I don't think you can make a sacrifice for somebody else. The children have to make their own decisions. But the Holy Spirit doesn't guarantee Job's theology. The Holy Spirit simply, when he moves whoever wrote the book of Job to write, he moves him to write the very words that, that occurred. He is accurate in that occurrence. Okay, if we look at his circumstances, we see that he is blessed, if you're filling in your outline. His circumstances are blessed. He has children. He has financial status. He has esteem. We notice that he is, in fact, devoted to God. And so Job has all of these characteristics in his life and also blessing. But now we come past that. We come to, as it were, the contender against Job. There's one individual, at least in the universe, that is absolutely against Job. Look with me, if you will, at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, and it's very clear, all through this passage, it doesn't just say Satan. In the Hebrew, which this was originally written in, it says the Satan, the accuser, or sometimes it's translated adversary. But the article is always in front and says the satan is very clear anyway satan comes we seems to say that the angels of god come and present themselves at a certain period in time before god satan happens to come along satan the accuser comes there as well and god in verse 7 says to him from where do you come And Satan says, I come from walking around on the earth, roaming around, walking. I would say, he's looking for trouble. Any place he can cause trouble, he's ready to do it. So the accuser is ready to do that. And we find that Yahweh, the Lord, says to him, "Uh, have you considered Job? Have you looked at Job as being a a man with integrity? Have you seen that he's an innocent man, a blameless man, upright, and so on? Look at verse 9. Satan responds and says, he answers, does Job fear God for nothing? He says, have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Stop there for a second. How does Satan, how does the Satan know that? Because he's already tried to get to Job and he can't get through. There's a hedge there. Satan goes on and says, you have blessed his work, work of his hands, the possessions, all that he has increases. But, he says, put forth your hand, verse 11. Now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. God, the only reason anybody worships you is because of all the good stuff they can get from you. That's the kind of God you are. And how does God respond to him? In verse 12, the Lord says to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only don't touch his body. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Okay, we find that Satan, at this point, the accuser, attacks Job. The timing of the attack might be noted. It was a day of celebration when the oldest they were in the oldest brother's house. Look when they would at thir- verse 13. On that day, sons and daughters reading, drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and then a messenger comes to Job and says, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked." By the way, if any of you know, uh, listened to or read any of uh, R.C. Sproul's work, R.C. Sproul says, don't worry, those Sabaeans, they were cattle wrestlers from the start. They were bad guys. But they couldn't get to Job before because the hedge is up. Something would intervene and they wouldn't be able to do that. Anyway, in verse 15 it says the Sabaeans attacked, says they killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and the servant says, I alone have escaped. While he was still speaking, verse 16. Another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he's still speaking, another comes, verse 17. The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels. They took them, they killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. I want you to think for a second. I know you could say God has a responsibility, but God didn't do this. Satan did it. Satan is the one who the fire fell from the sky. Does Satan control the lightning? I believe so. Does Satan control the tornado that probably came in across the wilderness and tore that house apart and brought it down? Does Satan have the power to do that? He does. And sometimes when events happen in our world, we need to understand that it wasn't God who said, I'm going to level that. But he may have permitted, in some cases, Satan to go ahead and do this very thing. It's worth noting the targets of the attack. His wealth. His wealth is completely done. It's completely wiped out. He, He doesn't, if your wealth was in your, excuse me, if your wealth was in your livestock, and your livestock are eliminated, then you're worthless. Everything's gone. I think it's also noted, worth noting the associates. I think undoubtedly the servants, the ones who were either in his employment or the servants that he owned, when you got to Job's house, you knew you'd fell into a good place because Job took care of you. Things were taken care of rightly. But the servants are suddenly gone. His associates, men he probably loved and trusted, many of them killed at this point in time. Then finally, not only wealth, not only his associates, but his family. He's lost 10 children. Some of you probably read occasionally, our daily bread, And if you do, you've probably seen in there David Brannan. He writes, um, every so often, will write the devotional. David Brannan had a beautiful young teenage daughter who was driving a car, and there was a terrible accident with a drunk driver, and she was killed. And he writes about that loss every so occasional. Uh, when he's doing the devotional. And you can see how bad he hurts, how much it hurts him. Let's look at the response of Job. Job's response, uh, we see it in 1 through 22, says, Job arose. He tore his robe, shaved his head, And he fell to the ground and worshipped. Back in that day, the ripping and tearing of your clothes would be a sign of great grief and great mourning. Shaved his head off and said, uh, was an indication that he again was in great grief and great mourning. But what is his response? I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if it would be easy for you to do this, but we're told that he worshipped. What does he say? Naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked I shall return to the ground, the dark place. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. But he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. We find that Satan comes around for another bite of the apple, so to speak. We find in the verses of Paul, I'm not going to read them all, in chapter 2, but he comes back and God says, well, have you looked at Job? He's still being in, has his integrity. He still loves me. He still worships me. Satan says, basically, uh, in verses 4 and 5, he says, Satan answers the Lord, and he says, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. That's what Satan said. That's what he would like to think for all of us, if he can hurt us bad enough that we will lose our faith in God. And curse. Let me say a word about Job's wife. Job's wife, I should say Satan goes back, afflicts his body, gets permission to touch Job's body and says Job has these terrible dermatitis, skin condition, sole of his feet, crown of his head. And his wife looks at him and his wife says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God. Die Now, I'm a little easier on Mrs. Job than some others. There was a great preacher back around 400 A.D. His name was Chrysostom. And Chrysostom was so good a preacher that they called him Golden Throat. Let me read you what he says. He says that Satan had left her, his wife, and did not take her with the rest of the family so that he could use her against Job. Well, I'm a little kinder to Mrs. Job than what Chrysostom was. The reason I am is, I want to remind you, it wasn't just Job had lost 10 children. Mrs. Job just lost 10 children, too. And I'm reading a little between the lines here, but I would take a guess that of the servants that were around her, the servants that took care of her, were probably, in many cases, the wives and children of those other servants who were out there that either got burned up or killed by the Sabaeans or someone. And these women are crying. they're They're widows now. These children are orphans. Things are tough for Mrs. Job, would be my guess. Also, I will say that she's suffering from a riches to rags event. Her her wealth, the day before that, she could probably go to the shopping place, the bazaar, or whatever you called it, and she could buy most anything that she wanted. Suddenly, she's destitute, she has nothing, and she has the servants that are looking to her to help out, and she cannot. So I look at Mrs. Job and I, and I am a little kinder to her than Chrysostom. Conclusion. Let's uh, go to the very end of the book of Job. As we look at the end of the Job, book of Job, we go to uh, chapter 42 of Job. And the situation there, there's Job's friends, we know Eliphaz, Beledad, Zophar come. And they are poor counselors to Job because, as I mentioned at the beginning, they're the ones that keep saying to Job, you've done something wrong. You have sinned in a terrible way. And Job says, uh, not saying he isn't, isn't some kind of a sinner, but Job's saying, I haven't done anything that's terrible like you have talked about. Anyway, the Lord comes, and he says in verse 10, Well, he tells Job he wants him to pray for his friends. It says, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. And we're told that his brothers and friends came and each one of them gave him a coin and a piece of gold, and he was able to build that fortune back up. How does God bless him uh, at, the, uh, at the end of his life. Look at verse 12. It says, Yahweh the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he has now 14,000 sheep. He has 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. And look at verse 13. It says, and he had 14 sons and six daughters. Wait a minute, I didn't read that right, did I? I didn't read that right. What does it say? He had seven sons and three daughters. Well, why, if everything else is doubled, why aren't the children doubled? The reason is because the first ten children are safe in the arms of God. Does he have 20 children? Yes, indeed, Job has 20 children. And I'll tell you what, I'd be willing to bet Job and those 10 children are celebrating right now. They're in heaven, they're united, things are good. Okay, we we come and we realize that we need to apply this a little bit. Let me give you a, a, a... a couple of applications. One, God views things different than we do. We look at uh, the situation and say, ten children, dead. What a tragedy. But God somehow sees it different. He knows that those ten children are really alive. Yes, he's taken them there with him. God knows that. He sees things different. He sees Job's time. He sees our time. He sees thousands of years in the future. God sees things from a different perspective than us. I'll give you another example. You may remember the Lord Jesus is at the temple, and they see a man who is born blind. And from reading the account, you can tell this guy's not a teenager, I'm not sure how old he is, 30, 35 years old, but you can tell when he interacts with the Pharisees and talks later on, he's not a young man. We look at it and say, yeah, well, we need to see what else what Jesus said. Jesus goes ahead and says, this, this man was born blind, not because he sinned, not because his parents sinned, but because this is the work, the work of God might be demonstrated and displayed in his life. We look at it and say, God allowed a man to be blind for 30-some years? We look at it, we don't see it the same way God does. God sees that this man is going to have his sight restored by the Lord Jesus, and he's going to have sight forever. Eternity is a long time, 35 years comparatively, very short time. God views things different than us. We look at things and we're smitten. God understands beyond where where we are. Let's look at, uh, think of one other thing. We need to realize there's a verse in the Bible. It's Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to them that love God. You've got to read the verse careful. It's not saying all things that happen are good. Doctor come and, comes and talks to you and says, I have a report that's going to be very difficult. This These results, lab results, are going to be very hard for you to take. Is that good? No. Somebody else has a, a, a substantial, we'll say financial account. And you wake up some morning and you find out that has plummeted and you don't have that money anymore. Your finances are wrecked. Is that good? Scripture does not say that's good. But if you read it carefully, it says God will take all those things and will work them together for good. To who? To those who love God. To those who love God. If you love God and you know him, and you're committed to him, you can be absolutely assured that all things ultimately will work out for your good. There's no guarantees for the person who doesn't know God, the one who turns away from God and says, God, I don't like you very much. Sure don't like the things you wrote in that book, the Bible. Don't like that one bit. If you take that position, there's no guarantee. In fact, I can tell you things won't work out good. But if you love the Lord Jesus with your heart, things are ultimately going to be very good. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know about suffering because you yourself have suffered. And you allow us to suffer For reasons that we, right now, cannot see very clearly, or we cannot see very well. But Lord, as we would trust in you, as we would rely upon you, as we would look and even cry out to you, Lord, we know you will answer. You have promised all things work together for good to them that love God. Amen.
0: this really says it all. If you'd like
2: to stand, join us. Calvary covers it all.
4: Far deeper than all that the world can impart was the message that came to Come my see me at covers it all and has with sin and stain by guilt and despair Jesus took on him there and Cal recovers it all
5: let us pray Heavenly Father we know the story of Job and we know that he was a man just like were men and women, and that he could be tempted, he could he could go through all the same emotions that we could, yet even when everything was taken from him, he still came and praised you, Lord. We ask that we, none of us will probably ever have that kind of strength, but Lord, let us strive toward that. Let us strive to always trust and love you and know that anything that that happens in our lives can be used for good when we trust and love in you. This we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.